What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And welcome everyone to another adventurous podcast where we're going to take you through the world of how you can become an amazing writer and get inspired by an incredible guest this week. But before we dive into that, we want to say thank you very much to uh, our patron of the week. And our patron of the week this week is Julia. Julia, thank you so much for joining the clan, supporting this podcast. And if you would like to be like Julia, that's a good name for a book, isn't it? Be like Julia. You can pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and sign up to get the most unbelievable range of goodies that we would have to take an hour to tell you all about, so we're not going to, but just go and check it out, folks. Bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Mm. Mr. Stay, we're, we're, we're in Canada right now choking on smoke. Um, you know, we've heard about oh you know, Academy members pre- and, yeah. and to evacuate homes. Absolute nightmare. Like, it's uh, it's bonkers. How's, how's, how's life in England? Are you, uh, you got clean clean air over there? Clean air. I mean, the seas are full of sewage, but apart from that, we're fine. Yeah, no, it's it's horrible watching um, watching these fires happening, and and it's it's just so out of your con- your control, you know. Yeah, so um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, so you know thinking of the folks who have to uproot yeah. and have their lives uprooted by that well, as well. Well, all over the world, right? There's there's all mm. kinds of people having to evacuate. So we are, our hearts and thoughts are with you all. Yeah. Um, this well, particularly at this time, um, but. As we are here to focus on positivity and amazing things that are happening in the, in the writing world, uh, there's some interesting things happening this week for you, Mr. Stace. Another, we like to talk about milestones on the podcast, don't we? Uh, we do. I think yeah. on our milestone list, there is a there is a milestone, uh, which is to do with one of the most important moments in a new book. So, do you want to reveal what what you've uh, what you've been working on? The reveal, well, I haven't been working on it. A, a very talented artist called Harry Goldhawk has been working on it. So uh, we, we're um, now we're recording this on a Wednesday. On the Thursday, I'm doing a cover reveal for the fourth, which is a Woodville book, The Holly King. And uh, but I'm going to reveal this to you now, Mister D, so you can see <gasps> it. So I can get, get a pre-reveal, get instant, instant reaction. <laughs> All right. uh, if I can get the share screen thing to work. So a uh, little so drum this roll, is people, please. This is people. If you're watching this on, if you're not, if you're listening YouTube. to the podcast, if you go to YouTube, you can see this. You can actually see see what Mark's going to do. But I have not, I have not seen this cover. This is very exciting, Mark. I'm very privileged. <laughs> God, I hope you like how it. many how many seconds am I going to get? Oh, Ooh, there we go. There we go. There it is. There it is. Wow, <gasps> Holly King. So, I love um, it. what what do you see? Tell me what you see. Oh, well, the first thing I was drawn is the title. Then I was drawn to the girl holding a sword. Yeah, but then yeah. my and I and then my I had to double check. But at the top, there's this kind of godlike creature with mm-hmm. 
antlers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like some yeah. tree tree god, maybe. I'm not sure. Nice. Okay. I that's then good. see a I see a fox in the bottom right corner. Excellent. Um, but the thing that really draws my eye then is the snow on the trees. So something that like wintry, but there's mm-hmm. also a big shining light yeah. in front of the female figure, which looks very alluring. And I kind of want to dive in. And then and then what I see is this amazing quote from none other than Michelle Paver. Michelle okay. Paver. I know, right? <laughs> Who we interviewed. Now, Michelle, we interviewed, she was one of the, we have like, you know, the original 20, like one of the very first <laughs> people that we interviewed. I always remember her interview. I, something about that interview that stuck. I mean, I remember all of them, but like there's some things in that interview that always stuck with me. Yeah. But she says, creepy, laugh out loud, funny, and genuinely moving. What a brilliant combo. It's great, isn't it? And do you want to know so how, how I got on that? Earth, yes, how on earth did you get well, a quote from Michelle Palmer? <laughs> well, she came to uh, Waterstones in Canterbury um, about a year and a bit ago. It was uh, not this winter, but the winter before. And I gave her a copy of The Crow Folk because, you know, I knew her from Orion and, and what have you. used to sell her books and it was lovely to see. And we had a little chat. And I said, would you would you have a read of this? I said, I know you're incredibly busy, but, you know, so so she took it away. And I didn't hear anything for weeks. I thought, oh, she hasn't read it. Fair enough. You know, that's such is life. You know, that's fine. I know she has, uh, because I know she's someone who gets a lot of books sent to her by publishers for for quotes and and stuff like that. And then one day, a letter arrives in the post, not an email. Wait, Michelle. But Michelle said that she, I remember this in the interview, she said that she uses some really old version of- Wordstar. Like a 90s word processor to write her book. So of course she'd write you a letter. She probably doesn't have email. Wrote me a beautiful handwritten letter, you know, where she went on about how much she enjoyed the crow folk. And uh, she said, and here's a quote if you want to use it for the series. So she um, just gave you a quote. You didn't even ask for it. Yeah. Well, so that was, uh, yeah, that's so amazing. Kind of, so it's kind of, kind of mind blowing, kind of mind blowing. Yeah, Michelle um, Paver's amazing. Like I see, even over in Canada, like you know, like she's from, from her her books are international. I I see her books all the time in bookstores in in Canada, and whenever I see, it, I'm like, oh, that's Michelle, another Michelle book. Um, absolutely brilliant. Well, yeah. congratulations. No, thank you. Thank no, you. Thank what, you for uh, sharing. Uh, I love the no, green well, as well. I love the colour, the whole theme of uh, nature and, and the Holly King as well. I mean, I'm curious as to what. What's interesting though? Ah, okay. You put all the. Okay, folks, if you're looking at this on YouTube, I'm just doing a good quick analysis of Mark's, <laughs> Mark's books. Something's changed. Because if you look at mm. the first three books, the, the, the size of the title and your name. They're all kind of in the you know up, middle to upper of the of the of the book yeah. book cover, and suddenly we've gone big. Yeah. Book four, like the, the the main title of the book of your new book is taking up I would say about a third of the page third. as opposed to about a sixth or an eighth of the page. Your name is now in capitals, <laughs> <laughs> bold. It's much big. Your name's much bigger and your name is at the bottom. And I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Mark, but I heard that as an author becomes more well-known, their name gets bigger and takes more precedent on the page because people are looking for the name as much as they're looking for the book title. Is that right? Well, I I'm think. asking the wrong person to tell me <laughs> because it's all book. But that is true, though, isn't it? That the name, like for Stephen King, 
Stephen King's yeah, name that's, is that's is what the sells the book. The, the, I'm not, the, it doesn't I'm match not what, about the title I'm, almost for him. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not what they call a brand author. Um, but yet. That, that is uh, yet. But yeah, yeah, but what's interesting is is there was a there was a conversation about the covers. We all love Harry's work, mm. but we just thought, okay, is there something we can do to sort of tweak it? And and also the thing with the Holly King, it's very much a book that if you've not read the others, you can jump in with this one. You can Brilliant. absolutely jump in with this yeah. one. So it's sort of designed to appeal to to new readers. It still has that because if you look, all four books are framed by trees. Yes, that hasn't uh, and changed. You got, and yeah. you've got the kind of the the ready orange, the blue, the dark blue, the light blue, and now we've got this green, this kind of yeah. You know, so it's green. a different kind of colours. And also, if you look at the if I'm looking at the first three books, I'm seeing kind of like a a pastoral kind of setting in each mm. one of them. And this one is like this is somewhere you're you in know, the woods now. We're in the yeah. woods, and there's something <laughs> something mystical going on. Really fascinating. Mm. It must be okay. Here's a quick question for you. Obviously, when you started writing these books, it was just you know it was just an idea. I remember you talking about it on the podcast. We could even probably go back to when you were talking about mm. these Woodville book that you'd written many years ago, and you were thinking of doing something with it. We can we can almost timeline that in the podcast. Yeah. How does it feel to sit there looking at four book covers next to each, like works of art, because they are works of art? And this is the other thing people don't realize when you write books. Like it's not just about your book; it's certainly creating like a piece of art. I mean, how does it feel to see those four book covers all next to each other? I'm a very lucky author. I mean, Isn't that awesome? I, I, I've had so get- many. I've had so many people tell me they picked the book up just because of Harry's art and the, and yeah. the design work on it. And it's uh, it. and seeing them all together is just yeah. brilliant. Okay, just question really for you feeling. as well. The Witches of each one of the three book covers has got the Witches of Woodville one, Witches of Woodville two, Witches of Woodville three. Yeah. I don't see that on the no. final cover. Is no. there? A, was that designed? Was yeah. That a decision? Again, again, that's a decision to you know. So if anyone picks up, so it's standalone. Yeah, people can pick it up thinking, okay, this is is this new? Whatever, Does it reference blah, blah. it somewhere? Does it reference yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. It'll reference it. I think I think it's on the back, and I think it will be on the back, and it'll be on the inside of the book. But on the cover, the other thing that's missing from the Holly King cover at the moment is a shout line, which we're uh, currently uh, tinkering with, and I think we'll right. we'll have one by the time. Uh, uh, I do the launch tomorrow. I think we've got we got a new sort of oh, really? thing coming through. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you know all these little things. Um, exciting. Yeah, yeah. Really exciting. Make, make well, a congratulations! Difference. Another milestone. Tick book four. Yeah, no stopping you, mate. That's no stopping. Well, I hope. And then you know the thing I love about this, Mark, is here we are talking about all this stuff, but there you are out there doing it, making it happen. You know, taking all this advice. You just you just absorbing everything that we we you know all the interviews you do and and it's just like and it's all coming out in, in these books in many yeah, ways yeah, which yeah. I think is brilliant yeah. so yeah. I hope that's inspired some people if you've if you've ever wanted to um, if you've ever wanted to do that like create a series of books and or even just write that one book you know congratulations Mr Stafe for giving people a reason to go for it proof in the pudding right <laughs> thank <stuff>. you <laughs> yeah now you talked about brand authors actually and that's something that comes up into today's interview isn't it tell us about mm. our um our guest this week 
Uh, we have the wonderful Andrea Dunlop, who began her career in publishing as a publicist for the likes of Doubleday and all sorts of uh, other authors. Uh, and she became an author and consultant. She's based in Seattle. And her latest novel, Women Are the Fiercest Creatures, is a story of three women, basically written out of a successful tech startup's history. And it's a really fun read. Andrea has over 15 years experience in publishing, and she talks really honestly about being on both sides of the publishing experience. And we discuss recurring themes in an author's writing why writing is like a second reality and why so much of publishing is out of your control and what you can do about it. Brilliant. Well, let's dive in and listen to the inspirational Andrea Dunlop. Andrea Dunlop, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. It's our absolute pleasure. And we're here to talk about, initially, your brand new book, which has the most amazing title, Women Are the Fiercest Creatures. Uh, so tell us about this this new novel and uh, its, its trio of main characters, Anna, Sam, and Jessica. Yes. So Women Are the Fiercest Creatures is the story of a tech CEO who is about to take his company public, and he ends up facing a reckoning from the three most important women in his life. His new wife, Jessica, uh, who is young and just had her first baby, or actually is pregnant with her first baby when we originally meet her. Anna, his uh, ex-wife, recent ex-wife, who is the mother of his other two children, and his ex-girlfriend, Sam, who was around for the founding of his company and has not really been acknowledged as such. (laughs) So yeah, it is um, mostly top line. I hope that people will find it to be a fast-paced, very readable family drama. You know, I feel like my number one job as an author is always to get people turning the pages. So um, I've gotten some early feedback that it's made people late to things and stayed up past their bedtimes, which is the best compliment you can ever give an author. <laughs> so I hope that's what people will, will have an experience with. But yeah, it's a, you know, it's a lot about um, motherhood. I was uh, pregnant when I started it with my older child and I was pregnant with my younger child when I finished it. So (laughs) really the bookends of the experience. I was just books and babies all happening at once in the last couple of years. Um, And, you know, a lot about sort of being a a, quote working mother and how that's treated really differently from being a quote working father, which is a term that no one ever uses. Um, Yes. (laughs) Sort of expect people to do both. Um, And, you know, also just the difference in sort of being a female on entrepreneur and being a male entrepreneur and and um and yeah just i think like technology and and how that's affecting us and um it's also sort of a love letter to all my complicated feelings about my hometown which is seattle washington which is a place that's changed a great deal since i was growing up here um in the uh, now i'm gonna reveal my age you know since i was <laughs> growing up here in the in the 90s so um so yeah i i think um i i really i i hope people love it um yeah Fantastic. I mean, one of the things you, you're talking about tech CEOs here, the billionaires, the top 1%, and the women behind the throne, to use a rather old phrase. People are going to start thinking, are these characters based on real people? I mean, we, we think about people like maybe like Mackenzie Scott, who is uh, Jeff Bezos's ex-wife. Were there, without without getting sued or anything, uh, were there any sort of real-life analogues to these characters that you drew upon yeah, what what could you possibly be talking about, Mark? I've never in, heard of this Mackenzie Scott's husband. Who's in that? Seattle. Um, <laughs> don't have anyone like that here. Um, yeah, certainly the sort of woman behind the man idea, I think, is something that really intrigues me. And I think there's sort of a, like most things, there's a benevolent 
version of that. And there's a really toxic version of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the toxic version happens if the woman's been pushed there. Um, so I think, you know, I, my father is a successful entrepreneur himself, and he certainly could never have had the life that he has uh, at work or having a family if it wasn't for my mother. And so I certainly think like that's something I've been a party to. Now, in that case, that's the benevolent version of that, because that was everyone was on board with that. Um, but I think, you know, yeah, I, the watching Mackenzie Bezos and everything that she's done and becoming this huge philanthropist. And mm. I mean, that's been really inspiring. I think certainly like, even if not consciously, she is sort of a, you know, a, a little bit of, there's a little bit of, of her in, in Anna's character. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, just like the climate that we're in, I mean, certainly people I thought a lot about when I was reading this book is like Elon Musk and, um, you know, just, uh, and also, um, also Steve Jobs, because those guys, we talk about them being fathers, but it's in this very separate way from the way we talk about them as entrepreneurs. So, you know, like Steve Jobs, kind of a famously terrible father. He, his daughter wrote an entire memoir about how he let her grow up in, you know, poverty while he was making all of this money. Um, and, you know, Elon Musk also like has all these kids by all these different women. And is that's sort of his fatherhood is sort of this like, haha, like Elon Musk is trying to repopulate the planet, kind of this joke, right? And if any woman had this history as a parent, it is the only thing we would ever mm, talk about. And no one yeah, would care yeah. if they were buying Twitter or, you know, inventing the iPhone or what have you. But with men, we're just able to separate the two. And so I think that was something I thought a lot about while I was reading, while I was writing the book. And uh, this is, uh, is this your fourth novel? Am I right? Is this no- novel number four? <laughs> yes, is- this is, yeah. Fourth published, um, several more in the drawer. Never to be seen again. We've all got those, Andrew. We've all got those. Um, how was this markedly different from the previous novels, or or do you feel there's some sort of progression in the way that your writing is evolving? Yeah, I mean, I I hope my writing is evolving in that I hope that it's getting better. I think that's that's what you really hope for with um, you know as, as a writer as you go. But I think certainly like it's really interesting to get older as I'm so sorry. My dog is outside barking at me. I'm just going to let him in real quick. Apologies. No problem. No, problem. no we love dogs. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> oh, get in here. You naughty man. I have, I have an elderly, uh, I have a 15 year old three legged miniature pincher. So oh. he is just a little bit needy. Can you lie down, buddy? I know. Can you lie down? Thank you. Uh, we're, so we're, sorry. We're, leaving we're leaving that in. You know that we're going to leave that in, Andrew. Don't worry. We are leaving that oh, in. That's like the dog no, we, moments. We love a little moment in my pets. last interview. We could, do a, we could do a whole sub podcast about author's pets. We've had, you know. he, is, he is my buddy. He does. He sits at my feet whenever oh, I'm reading. So oh, he's always here. Um, and now, of course, I have utterly <laughs> lost my train of thought. What, <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, yes. How my writing has progressed. Yeah. Evolved. Yes. I mean, I think I think the most I think sort of the, the the tie that I can see is that you 
you know, I don't, it's not me putting myself in my books. They're not all based on my life or anything like that. But I think, you know, as you get older as an author, you have more stages of life that you're able to write about. And that has been really interesting. And so I think for me, you know, I, uh, I turned 40 last year, like this is my sort of coming of middle age novel, right? I talk a lot about sort of being in the middle of your life and seeing some of those early promises of your youth have come to fruition and some have not. And maybe your life turned out uh, the way you thought, or really it's really different than the way you thought. And sort of that, I think that's a really interesting thing about being this age rather than being in your twenties where you're just all a ball of like chaotic possibilities. <laughs> well, let's, let's go back a little bit further because as I understand it, your mother used to find little scraps of paper with dialogue written on them, uh, left by young Andrea. T tell us about that and how that all, this is, this is the start of your career, essentially. Tell us about that, Andrea. <laughs> Mark, you, I love it. You really did good research for the show. Um, yeah, that is my mom always tells me that, you know, she's like, I'm ready whenever Oprah wants to talk about how you, you know, first became a writer. Like, I was there. Um, yeah, I mean, I really, I was always really drawn to books, always really drawn to storytelling, wanted to be a writer from the time I was a kid. Um, and yeah, I think like, <clears throat> You know, it it like I this is probably the place where I can go and indulge myself a little bit in like the woo-woo elements of being a writer because I think like there's a lot of it that's there's yeah, there's a lot of it that's practical, right? A lot of it is like button your seat, writing words, rewriting words. A lot of it is, you know, practice and just like working on your craft and just being there, just doing it is like, you know, a huge percentage of the battle. But I think there's also a little something mystical and magical about writing. And for me, it's that sort of like other track that I have going in my brain at all times where there's just like a story there. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's not like I just sit down and like channel it, but there always is something there. It's like, when I finish a book, the next book is sort of like, there it is, you know, and, or, and that makes it sound more simple than it is. Cause there's a lot of like fighting out, like what is this actual book? But like, I've always kind of had that, right. I've always kind of had this like second little reality going on in my brain. So I'm probably lucky that I'm a writer because otherwise I think that that would be, um, that would be a sort of unmanageable brain to have without being a writer. <laughs> I think I think it's something a lot of writers. It's something we have in common. It is. Um, and my co-presenter, he, Mister Devoe, he loves a bit of woo woo, and he's he's going to love this. But when we write, we and when it's going well, it is like going to a kind of a parallel universe, isn't it? Where we have a bit more control about the world and we can make sense of it. Is that is that what it feels like to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's almost like you go into the void a little bit, you know, yeah. and and you're I always learn things about myself when I'm yes. writing. And I think, you know, looking at this book that, you know, you sort of I in no conscious way based any of this on myself. And yet I see those themes that I write again and again that always come up, you know, one one of which is being reunited with long lost family members, which is something that's come up now in three of my four books. Um, again, not even something I necessarily like set out to write about, but, um, you know, you, you see those, your same preoccupations and themes kind of come through and, and that's just, uh, that's not because I meant to put those in there, but it's something that, yeah, you're, you are sort of sorting through your unconscious, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's very common 
for authors to tackle the same thematic ideas over and over, but from different angles. In, in the, uh-huh. it's the thing that preoccupies us the most, and this is this is how we make sense of this stuff. I, I have to go back though. What sort of dialogue were you writing on those little scraps of paper? <laughs> I'm dying to know. I don't really know. Oh. I wish I had them. I know. I wish I could give you some more insight. I just, my dad had this. He got used to get these huge palettes of like these t- these little mini legal pads, and so I would always write on those. And I just, I mean, I, I remember it, but I just think like. I and my mom also always talks about the fact that I always had like my little like my Cheerios would talk to each other or like if I was trying to like make do a craft project my beads would talk to each other and you know that I always just had sort of like I was like a major anthropomorphizer right I was like I I would think of like different numbers as having different personalities and different colors as having personalities and like that everything just sort of took on like a story and a narrative. And so I think like that dialogue was probably just like whatever was going on in my head, which sounds a little wacky, but maybe not so much because I did become a novelist, but not yeah. to, not to the people listening to this podcast. They were going, yes, <laughs> yes, I, you all, guys yeah. are my people, you know, you're like, yes, we all understand. We all have a constant chatter of characters in our heads that we think about all the time. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk about another pivotal uh, sort of meeting in your career when you met the, the author, the novelist, Polly Devlin. Yes. Oh, Polly, what a wonderful person. Yeah. So this was when I was working in publishing and living in New York. And I was working as a publicist for Doubleday. Um, and I got to work on Sophie Dahl's book. So this is if you're British, some of your audience is British, mm. you'll probably know this is Roald Dahl's granddaughter, who also became yeah. a famous model and has done a bunch of other things. And um, and through her, I met Polly Devlin, who is a wonderful Irish writer who at the time was teaching at, I want to say Barnard. So I just just struck up a friendship with her and we would meet for coffee. And, you know, I was very shy at that point in my life. I was probably like 25. Um, I was very shy at that point in my life about saying that I was a writer, because I think when you're working at Random House and you're like surrounded by, you're like, oh, I'm not, I don't want to be like, I'm a writer too. You know, it's just, I felt very sort of you know, squeamish about that. And so I, I would always sort of like bring it up bashfully if someone like dragged mm. it out of me. And so sure enough, she did. She was like, well, what are you, you're working in publishing? Like, what are you? Yeah, I'm actually working on a novel. And, and so she said, well, how is it going? And I said, oh, it's not going very well. I'm not making very good progress. And she said, right. So you have several things working against you. You are a young person in the most exciting city in the world. Um, You know, you have a full-time job and I can't remember what the other thing was. (laughs) Those were the two big ones. Um, Basically just like, yeah, what you're, you know, you're, you're going out, you're 25 year old in New York city. This is distracting place. You know, you are, and and you're working full-time. And so she said, could you write in the mornings before you go to work? And I did not like the sound of that because I am chronically not a morning person. And certainly in those days, I was staying out late at nightclubs and that kind of thing that you do when you're 25 year old in New York. So that didn't sound like a very fun idea. And she said, and I said, oh, I guess. And she said, well, let me tell you what's going to happen if you don't. You will be sitting here 10 years from now wondering why you never finished your novel. And that, put the fear of God into me (laughs) so much that I was up the next morning. And sure enough, in a couple of months, I did finish my novel and I got an agent and it was very exciting. And I was pretty sure I had made it. And then we did not sell that novel. Um, And then I, I went through a couple more false starts before that. But it's certainly like that got me 
you know, that got me going. And it was just, um, and it's really funny now as, you know, a person with two children and sort of umpty 11 things going on to think of myself as like, oh yes, 25 year old Andrea, you're so busy. Like, how could you find time to write with all of that, with all of those, that cocktail having, and, you know, just like, completely, it's like a completely no one depending on you. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it's certainly like, it was a really good, it was the right thing at the right time for someone to say to me. And I, yeah. I've held on to it ever since. And, and I really, be- it turned me into a morning writer person. And I, I really like, I felt the joy of that, you know, and I, I go back to that now because I'm several books in and sometimes the sort of grind of the industry can get you as a writer. Um, and I kind of remember like being 25 and waking up, you know, at seven o'clock, which seemed like a really early hour at that <laughs> age. And I would go down to the Dunkin' Donuts and I, I would get my big gigantic iced coffee because it was summer, very hot and humid. And I would go sit at my desk for an hour and it just felt like it felt like such a gift. It was just, it really made me happy. And I I always remember that. I'm like, it's the writing that makes you happy. It's not like the publishing stuff is, is in a separate bucket, but like this, Mm. this feels good. And so I, I always try and get back in that spirit when I'm, especially when I'm writing a new draft and I don't have to really like talk business about it to anybody. Well, that, that brings me on to my next thing, because you, you've spoken before about that separation of being an author and being a business person. And of course, you, you know, you mentioned that you're a publicist for Doubleday as well. And, you know, I've worked in uh, publishing myself as well. And you do realize that you, you have to kind of separate those two things. There's the creative part of you and there's the business marketing and publicity side. How are you managing those those roles? And do you have any sort of tips for readers on that, on how to do that? Oh, I mean, yeah. So I, I did, I started my career at Doubleday and then I worked another a few other publishing adjacent jobs before becoming sort of full-time as a, I will say in 2016, when my first novel came out, I moved to being like a full-time consultant just working for myself and writing and now I'm writing and podcasting and that's sort of my job makeup um but yeah so I I did start off in you know traditional stayed amazing back then it was Random House now it's Penguin Random House it almost became Penguin Random House Simon and Schuster so if anyone was following that story but that did not happen I got (laughs) shut down um for the best I think but uh yeah so I mean I did I did start at this you know incredible publisher I worked with amazing editors there like Nantalise who edits Ian McEwen and among other people and Margaret Atwood and just all these incredible names. And um, it was in some ways intimidating, but Mm -hmm. also really an incredible way to learn the business. And I think working in publicity in particular was really helpful because you sort of saw where the rubber hits road. You know, you're working through the actual book launches and seeing them like go from being in, you know, inside the publishing house to outside the publishing house and all of the ways that, you know, that can go well or go badly. Um, And, you know, working on a lot of books that were really wonderful, beautiful books by very lovely authors that we, as my wonderful colleague, wonderful former colleague Todd Doughty used to say, couldn't get him arrested in Times Square, you know, yeah. you just where you just yeah. couldn't find, you know, couldn't couldn't get any any publicity for them. It's very hard. It's very challenging to get people to pay attention to books. I think it's better now than it was when I was working in publishing because now you have more options. Writers feel all kinds of way about those options, but you know, we did not have podcasts. We did not have social media in anything like what it is now. Um, and so certainly there are more ways that people learn about books and, and certainly like 
you know, with Book Talk, which uh, if you are interested in that, please check out my friend Lee Stein. She does amazing content about how Book Talk can work for authors, um, including you capital L literary folks out there. Um, and, you know, that the market has actually expanded over the last couple of years. There are more people reading books by a pretty significant percentage mm. than were reading books a few years ago. That's incredibly exciting. Um, so I think like, you know, it was to see how the sausage is made a little bit. And I think it prepared me well to be a working author in this industry. I went into my first book with no serious delusions about what that process would be like. Um you know, I knew that like I was not going to be the lead title at the big publishing house where it was being published and that kind of thing. And so I think having that understanding of the industry was really helpful. I mean, I just really try and draw a curtain between those two sides of my brain. And it is hard because now, you know, once you're a working author, you're sort of always in some kind of like production cycle, or at least your agent wants to know what you're working on. And of course, that all sounds very dreamy when you're not published, right? All you could ever hope for was somebody actually waiting on you to write a book. But um, but I think it can feel very different when you're when you're in it. And, um, you know, and really just like the roller coaster of publishing will always be just that a roller coaster. And I think like, just resilience is the biggest factor. I think just, you know, like just keeping going is a win. You know, most people yeah. don't. There's, I think some huge percentage of people drop off after like book three, I think it is. I mean, the huge percentage of people never get a book published period. And then, you know, it gets, gets fewer and fewer as you get more books in. So I just, I like to remind myself and remind others that if you're still trying and you're just still writing, like that's a win. And, and also maybe give yourself another way to make money. I think that's always a good, <laughs> have something else in your professional sort of sphere. I think that, you know, the thing that makes me the most anxious is when someone says, you know, I really want to write a novel. Like, I think I'm going to quit my job and take a year off and do it. And I'm like, Oh no, don't yeah. do that. You know, that's, a, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Perseverance is Again, I mean, you and I will have seen this because, you know, we've worked in publishing. The the people who endure are the people who keep keep going. You know, it is very easy to give up and just walk away and, and you know, throw the towel in. But perseverance counts for an awful lot. I also see that setting goals is is really important for you. Uh, you're, you're sort of goal-oriented. Is, is this something you do on a regular basis in terms of your career? You know, now you're up to book four. What, what's new for you? What's ahead for you, Andrea? Well, I'm working on, so I have a bunch going on right now. So um, right now I'm I'm actually, I just turned in a new draft of my nonfiction book that I work on. It's the first time I've written nonfiction, which has been really interesting and totally different from writing novels. Um, and so I, I do have that project coming out in probably 2024. That is a true crime uh, book that I'm co-writing with a detective. We are tackling wow. three case, three Munchausen by proxy cases. That is the other part of my life with the podcast. Um, and so that has been really interesting. Um, and I'm actually working on, um, I'm working on a couple of different fiction projects. I don't usually write two things at the same time, but I had something that I had a big chunk of um, that I sent off to my agent. And it is, um, it is a sequel to one of my books. I won't say which yet. Um, and then I have a new idea for a novel that I, that I've just started. So um, yeah, I, I just like to be working on something. I mean, I think that's the part of me where I, I just come back to, I like writing. <laughs> writing is the thing that was fun to me when I was a kid. It was the thing that I enjoyed in college. It was the thing that was with me long before I was ever an industry person. And it's the thing that will be with me until I am 
gone from this earth until my brain has somehow scrambled itself. That So that is, that's, uh, to me, that's a gift. And so I think like, when I can get myself in that mindset, it really helps with all those anxieties about the industry, because there will always be a million factors that you cannot control. Nobody, if anybody tells you that they know how to pick the next bestseller, unless you are like Reese Witherspoon and you can actually do it, um, or Oprah, you know, um, you know, but anybody else, it's really like nobody knows and no one knows how a book is going to re- be received the moment it's going to publish into what's going to be happening behind the scenes at that publishing house. I mean, there's so many factors. I feel like I have seen it all at this point between my work in publishing and being an author. I've had all kinds of experiences publishing books. And so, um, so I think like the, the more you can just sort of like detach from that a little bit, the better. Was it, was it kind of freeing knowing how the sausage is made in publishing in a way in that you didn't feel like you had to write Gone Girl or you know you didn't have to write to a best-selling formula and I say this as co-presenter of the bestseller experiment was it freeing just knowing that actually you just want because there is no there are no guarantees there are no certain paths to success or, or did you feel that feel obliged to add certain elements to a story in order to make it more commercial? No, I think that's a losing bet. I mean, I, I think that's a bad way to write um, to write books. Number one, I just don't think that sounds like much fun as a writer. Um, but I also think, you know, listen, with the way publishing timelines work, you know, the time you turn in a manuscript, a final manuscript to it being on shelves is often a year, right? You, whatever trend is happening, you know, you it may not be happening um, when that book comes out and likely it won't, right? And so, I mean... I, um, Losing the Light, which was my first novel, which went through many iterations before it got published. And there was a time when I could not find an agent for that. And then I rewrote it, rewrote it. I mean, I spent 10 years putting that in a drawer and taking it back out before it got published. And on one of those first attempts that did not get off the ground, one of the uh, pieces of feedback I got from an agent, um, she said, this is really great. I could see this being in the kind of sweet spot between, you know, uh, commercial and literary fiction. Um, but it's just so hard to sell anything right now that doesn't have a paranormal element because this was in the time of like Twilight and vampires. And so I really had this fleeting thought of, you know, well, maybe Alex one of the main characters could be a vampire. And then I was like, Oh my God. I was like, Andrea, (laughs) step away, like step away. Um, Because that's not the story that you're writing. And I think like, you know, you're not going to do it well if you're trying to force yourself. And now there are people that there, there is a certain kind of formulaic writing that I think people can plug into, you know, some of these like, sci-fi romance that has all of these different sort of subgenres, and they have very strong conventions and they have a formula in a good way right where like the readers want these beats and so there are writers that sort of fit themselves into that really well and so that that's sort of a separate thing but i think for like you know if you are writing in some place that has really strong you know strong conventions then you can sort of look at like okay what's hot what's working and i do think it's interesting i mean i don't advocate for completely unplugging for what's happening in the industry i mean i think it's really fascinating to look at like how the industry is working what's popular when and why and i think you know once something gets to be a phenomenal success i feel like i have to read it because i just want to know like even if i'm not the primary reader of this 
Like, what is, what is it that's getting people? Like, what is it that's resonating so much in this particular moment with this particular book um, that's really hitting people? Because I think that's just really interesting to try and understand. I just don't think it works very well to try and reverse engineer it as an author. Um, but I think as a reader and sort of part of the community, it behooves you to understand, like, why is every single person on the earth reading Colleen Hoover right now? And like, yes. looking into that and, you know, and thinking like, how, how are these, how are these out of the box societies? success is happening? And is there sort of a, uh, a, a range? Is there some takeaway that can help me more with my marketing? Like not necessarily writing to it, but like looking at your existing work and like applying some of those principles, I think is, is more helpful than actually thinking about what to write next. Fantastic. Well, Andrea, this has been just wonderful speaking to you. There's so much insight into to what's going on in the publishing world as well. Um, best of luck with Women Are the Fiercest Creature and all those amazing projects that you've got coming soon as well. Uh, great to speak to you and hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you so much, Mark. This was a fantastic interview. Oh, and Andrea just mentioned those words of how writing is mystical. She had me <laughs> from the very beginning. Ah, I knew you'd like that. But she's so tr- <laughs> it's so true though, isn't it, Mark? It's this unspoken magic. And however you want to define it, there's this unspoken magic and connection that we get when we go into that world. We sit down and we we just disappear off into this world of storytelling. And it is mystical and it is beautiful. And it's an absolutely, it's so easy to forget within the challenges of writing and how we like carry all these like you know backpacks on our back of all the struggles I support but like let's get back to let's get back to the pure joy of what this is about it's like there is something magic that happens every single time anyone sits down to write you can never ever predict ever fully predict what's going to come out at the end of the session so you're always going to be in awe of what may or may not occur And I love the fact that Andrea reminded every single writer of that today. And I think it's so important for people who are stuck in the mire to like remind themselves like this is, this is why you do it. This is why you show up. No one ever gets into writing because they hate it. Everyone gets into writing because they love it. They're fascinated by it. They want to develop themselves. And this is, this is the core of what we're about. Yeah. And I know I appreciate that writing is difficult. And uh, it can make you want to tear your hair out and you'll have days when it's just not working at all. But even on those bad days, there's an alchemy happening. There is you are making something out of nothing. And yeah. uh, we're, we're the only creatures that do it. We're the only you know creatures that t- that we know. Maybe the whales do it. Um, I, there's a thing in the news at the moment lots of orcas are attacking boats off the coast of england i don't know if you see this the coast of the uk so maybe they're talking to each other uh but yeah as far as we're aware we're the only creatures who make these stories up and share them uh and it's it's one of the ways that uh we express ourselves and by creating something by doing that by sharing these stories we become better people i think i think we you know we we it's it's about empathy and understanding other people's points of view and making sense of the world and we're, we're going to talk in the extended version about theme and the themes that preoccupy us uh in in greater depth but uh that is that's is another huge key for, for me i mean this morning i I uh, I sat down and and genuinely only had the vaguest idea what I was going to write and I I'm lucky in that I can I got not a good solid ninety minutes this morning and I had a really really good 
idea of what's now going to happen in the next chunk of the story. And I'm going to spend the next few days developing that. But that, that thing of learning to love the process of learning, even though, you know, it's going to be hard, even though, you know, it's, uh, you're going to be sort of sweating bullets for a while and, uh, just, you know, trying to hammer the keys or, or just write any old nonsense down. Um, but, but if you stick at it, something weird and magical does happen and you do manage to pluck a story or a moment or a beat or an idea out of thin air that gives you the fuel to keep going. And, um, it's why I keep coming back for more, even though we have bad days, even though uh, there are days when everything seems piled against you. The, the process of it is what I love more than anything else. And, and, and as Andrew said, the writing is what makes you happy, not the publishing, not the, not the jumping through hoops, not the publicity, not the um, uploading your book to this or that or the other. Yeah. And I know we talk about, you know, these amazing milestones and cover reveals and things like that, mm. but you wouldn't have any of that if it wasn't for that just putting one down word after another and actually when you when you think about it and you think about the if you were to put all the struggles into one little one little pot and you would put all the time you spend actually in the mystical (laughs) joy of writing if we put it that way you've got to keep in perspective that the struggles are quite a small percentage compared to all the writing that we do that we love let's let's always remind ourselves of that that this pot that everyone focuses on because it is the bit you have to work at because it's the bit we've got to learn the craft we've got to how do we fix this how do it becomes a real focus because of the things that we've got to fix it's like when the car breaks down there might be a flat tire the rest of the car's brilliant the engine's beautiful the interior's <laughs> clean and we're focusing on the flat tire and I'm, I'm stuck on the side with my porsche it's stuck on the bloody side of the road with a flat tire and it's like let's focus on the flat tire let's remember though that there's a beautiful car sitting there which as soon as that flat tire is fixed we can get back to enjoying driving it and that's the that's the joy of writing so i want people to really really work hard at this we've got to keep reminding ourselves that Yes, it is hard, but it's a small, the struggle is a small percentage for the gain that we get, the joy when we sit down and the magic happens. And I'm sure today, anyone listening to this who's done their 200 word challenge, if we were to poll them and say, what kind of a day did you have? We'd get, we'd get a few flat tires. Oh, couldn't write a bloody thing. And then we'll get like, you know, hundreds of people saying, oh, I had an amazing day. I had a massive breakthrough. I wrote this thing. And there'll be so, and we just, got to keep focused on the good stuff and and just know that we're going to get flat tires and think right okay flat tire how do we repair it right fix let's get back on the road again talking of which though it starts in childhood doesn't it mark and we got to remember that we we've been practicing for this all our life and andrea i loved how andrea talked about this idea that she had everything talking with each other even, yeah. even you know cheerios in her cereal <laughs> whatever she said <laughs> I, I love that that we're starting to develop these skills at a very, very young age, aren't we? Yeah, that thing of, uh, well, play. Writing, in a way, is a slightly more formalised version of play, where you sit down with dolls or action figures or whatever and and act out little scenarios. And you would... Yeah, you, you see them. They have little arguments, and sometimes they've been listening to Mummy and Daddy have an argument, and they'll replay it, you know. And again, it's it's 
it's making sense of the world. It's it's them yeah. going, okay, well, what happens if these two characters have an argument about over who gets the last biscuit? Okay, yeah. so that that's what some, you know, if you're if you're sitting down with your dolls and you're having a little tea time thing, and you know, what what can what's the conflict in this scene? You know, what's what's uh, what's what what can this scene be about? So yeah, I think uh I know some parents might worry when they see their kids talking to themselves or talking to their dolls or whatever. But it's, for me, it's a sign of a very healthy imagination should be nurtured. Well, yeah. I want to also just say to parents out there, being at the kind of almost at the other end of, you know, parenting um, in terms of like kids at home, that if you, I mean, we all do it as children, like we all play these games and we, we but if in the case of like Andrea, like if you see that there is exceptional talent if you like within they always are like making stories up and they've got this incredible creativity really nurture that at a young age and encourage them when they when they're old enough to start writing creative stories and oh why don't you you know that that game you were playing with why don't you write a little story here's a little book for you just to write why don't you just try writing that down it'd be really fun to read it maybe you can record what happened just to kind of get them into that process because we hear so many stories, don't we, on the podcast, Mark, about how a grandparent, I remember one one uh, guest said, you know, their grandparent really took them under their wing and, and really nurtured their writing and encouraged them to write and helped them write. And and she became a very successful author. Like there's, there's so much amazing work that can be done at a young age. And so do nurture it. If you see it, don't just go, oh yeah, that's because all kids do that. If you see it, if you see a lot of that, then 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 give them a give them a pencil and a little notepad and ask them to write their story out for but you. But why Why do we only let kids have this fun? Well, what, exactly. How, when do we get that drummed out, that, it, out of is, us, you know? This, exactly. This is kind of, we're kind of like the big kids podcast, really, aren't we? Yeah. Two things we, I we, want we, to come back. Nap time and <laughs> yes. uh, and reading time and and also play time where I can sit there. I mean, I mean, just look behind me. That, that's that's an oh, that's a arrested just, development on display there. You know, Star Wars figures and yeah, I yeah, yeah. It, and I'm, I want to, I embrace my inner child. Jen uh, once said to me, as a parent, as an adult, she, I always remember this. She said to me, um, um, it's not when you're an adult, it's not great to be childish, but it's really good to be childlike. Yeah, yeah, I always yeah. remember that. I'm like, yeah, yeah I want to be childlike. I want to have this kind of inner joy. I want to look at the world through the eyes of how a child sees the world. I want to try and remind myself of all the beauty that's out there, how a kid stops and analyzes a, a, a piece of gravel on the ground for like 20 minutes when you're on your way to try and post a letter, that kind of stuff, because we forget the magic of what's around us every day. We get so stuck. And there's, and also we have this thing called the media and I don't want a media bash, but <laughs> I, I really don't enjoy going and reading the news very much anymore because there's, no. I'm searching for something positive and happy because that's what I like to fill my life with. So I do this podcast, right? I feel inspired. Every time we finish a podcast, Mark, I always feel really uplifted. I always feel like no matter how it is coming in, I always think, yeah, that was great. You know, we, we, we covered some good stuff. Maybe a few people have left feeling a bit better about their work or their life or their writing. But so much of what overviews us, surrounds us, is all the bad things in the world. Right now, we, you know, people might be saying, yeah, but Mark, look outside the window, la, la, la. But Really, I look outside my window and there might be a bit of smoke, but the world is the world is okay where we are and I, I don't have the right to be miserable. I have the right to feel sorry for people who are struggling, but there's so much beauty in the world. Let's embrace that in our writing. Um, let's write about the conflict because that's absolutely fodder for every writer. 
Um, but in our own world as a writer, let's find the beauty of what we're doing here instead of constantly, you know, focusing on on all the struggles because there's so much to celebrate, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, th- there's a there's a sort of childlike wonder when you create something, uh, and that's not to say you have to write something that's all everything is fine. Of course, you know, not at all. Yeah. You know, you can you can explore uh, dark and difficult themes and ideas uh because that again again we'll talk about it in extended this is how we make sense of the world around us um and and it's not that it should ever be simplistic or childish but childlike is that you go into it with open eyes where anything is possible that's the thing about being exactly. childlike imagination yeah exactly any yeah. you haven't got you're not bi- Children haven't been hemmed in by, oh, you've got to have a job, you've got to have a mortgage, you've got to do this, you've got to you know, pay the rent, whatever it is. Uh, so if you can at least keep that childlike wonder alive in the creative part of your mind, yes. then all that other crap can you know, take care yeah, of itself. And, and it's And it's about separating ourselves as the writer. Yeah, yeah from what we're writing about as well. Like, yeah, we can write horror, we can write thrillers, we can write, you know, about all kinds of awful things. But as you as the writer, protect yourself, like put that bubble around you and say, enjoy the process, love well, the and, process. Andrea said it was a second reality going on in my brain. And I totally relate to that because there is the real world. You know, I'll, I'll read the news and, and it, there are upsetting things happening. Also, lots of very good. Uh, little thing, there's a newsletter called Future Crunch, which is only good news about the world. It's brilliant. Oh, it's great. It. It'll, it'll be saying, oh, they've, you know, done this in Africa and, you know, they've these people have been vaccinated and yada, yada, yada. It's all good. It comes on a Friday. It's brilliant. Um so yeah, there are there are things, but uh, my alternate reality when I'm writing is my happy place. I've spoke. I, that's what I've referred to as is my happy place, and it is. It's yeah. great, and it's, uh, it's sanctuary in many ways, yeah. isn't it? It's a place where yeah, you yeah, can yeah. go and you you know you know it, you love it. It's personal to you, mm. and you always come out of it usually feeling better than when you went in. And that's that's usually. The key. <laughs> yeah, usually. And that's the thing, usually, most of the time. Absolutely. Now, one of the things I also wanted to talk about that Andrea discussed was this idea about how she was shy about being a writer. And this is a very common thing that I've come across when I when I meet writers, when I talk to writers. A lot of writers have this persona that they 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 are around writing they're very shy about being a writer. And I think it mm. partly comes with the territory because it's quite an introspective thing that we do you know it's 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 about being alone and, and writing and focusing on inner thoughts and putting them on the page but it's interesting to see how andrea kind of grew out of that it's like she grew from that she recognized that she had this shyness but like listening to her on the podcast you'd never imagine in a million years that she was once that once that um you know, shrinking violet yeah yeah it's it's some I mean, we had this very early on with, with Joanne Harris. She said, if you're writing, you're a writer. Simple as that. Drop the aspiring. You know, just uh, if, if you are applying yourself to it, then you are a writer. I know a lot of people feel they can't say that legitimately until they've had something published or whatever. Uh, you know, I think it's up to you to define what that is. But personally, I think if you're showing up every day to write, then you're a writer. Uh, and the, and as... as um, you know, as Andrea said, the writing is what makes her happy, not the publishing. And the publishing is part of the circus that goes on around writing. But uh, as long as you're showing up and putting pen to paper, 
then you're right as far as I'm concerned. I think the message to people today is own it. Own it, folks. It's yours to be had. Like, take it. Own it. We did this brilliant exercise, Mark, on the Academy uh, a few months ago where I challenged everyone during the, uh, the, the monthly life coaching session. I said, next time you fill out an application form or any kind of form and it asks you for your occupation, <laughs> I dare you, I dare you to put down writer or author. And what was brilliant is quite a few people came back the next month and to, to like, we always celebrate people's wins and people report back and how it went and like the failures as well. It's all part of it, but the, it's brilliant. And quite a few people did this. And, you know, it was amazing to see the shift in their, the, the shift it created in their own mind that they, they now believe it, they own it and their writing's amazingly improved and they're writing more and they're feeling more empowered and they're telling more people, yeah, I write books. And it's almost like that transition from that shy, I'm going to keep this a big secret. You know, I'm writing a book, but I'm not going to tell everyone to, to being proud about the fact that they're writing and wanting to share it with people. And, and it's a bit like analogy that I always talk about in music. When I get a vocalist in the studio and I press the red button to record during the, during the warm up, their voice is like an angel singing. It's beautiful. The minute I say, right, we're going to go for our first take. I hit the red button and it's like, ah! it's like it's someone strangling them. <laughs> it's literally, it's a, it's, a, it's a brilliant analogy for writers because it's almost like the, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you even just get stressed, your vocal cords naturally tighten and you can't sing properly. And weirdly enough, my trick is yeah. I always do all the yeah. takes during their warmups. <laughs> they don't realize it, but I'm actually recording their vocals yeah. during their warmups. So here's the thing about writing. When you talk about, when you're, when you're not able to talk about in the world, it's like you're almost like restricting yourself. Your, 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 your hand is tense when you're writing. And the minute you actually announce it to the world, you declare it that you want to be a writer, you, you relax and you own it and it starts to flow and you start to sing beautifully, right? One thing I think holds a lot of people back is that family, friends and family who don't write, who have no understanding of the writing world, right? as soon as you say to them, I'm a writer, mm. you're going to get certain stock responses, which is, uh, what have you written and have I heard of it? Which is always so annoying because it's like, if you knew how many books are published every week, no, the odds of you having heard of it, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and also, oh, you earn, how much do you make from that? Are you earning a yeah. living from it? So what you're confronted with there are their definite is their definition of what constitutes a writer. And that's usually, again, media bashing again. That's usually the media going, six-figure deal for author who's come from nowhere and they've uh, been optioned by Ridley Scott. You know, for them, that's like, oh, that's what a writer is. Yeah. And so I think a lot of us don't declare ourselves as writers because we're worried that Auntie Mabel over Christmas is going to go, well, I'm sorry, I don't see you on the shelves in WH Smith, so you're clearly not a writer. So yes. we have to do a certain amount of explaining and justification yeah. of of what that is. So we, we kind of have to – there's a barrier in that we have to step up and go, yeah, I'm a writer – I'm working on a project. Uh, I might have self-published it because that was my choice. Uh, or I may be with a small press 
or I may be with a genre publisher over here. And no, I'm not J.K. Rowling, but you know, I've uh, I'm I'm loving my writing. I love the process. It's what makes me happy. It defines who I am, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's just one of those things that we know that's part of the process, and we need to build a. Th- you know, we just need to know that people especially people sometimes close to us don't fully understand it they maybe never will understand it and that's okay that's okay it's just it's just how it is and we just move on from that we go are you know we are your friends and family are not going to be your book reading audience i promise you that they'll all read your first book but they won't be (laughs) they will not be your long term you don't want to build a fan base around your friends and family folks that's the worst marketing strategy in the world you want to be going out there and finding people that love you because they love you as a writer and love your books. And they don't, they don't, they're not, they don't know you necessarily in the same way that friends or family are. So just embrace that and love it. I mean, it's just part of the process. Now, one other thing that um, Andrea mentioned, which piqued my interest was she said, more people are reading a higher percentage of books than ever before. And I did a little bit of digging mark because I was curious about, because I, I wanted to, I like numbers, I like stats, like mm-hmm. how much, how much I want to know. So I went and had a quick search and I, there's obviously stats, stats and, you know, lies and all the rest of it. But this was from the Bureau of um, the U.S. government statistics. So it's definitely like true. Jesting aside, but um, but no, it's really interesting because it says um, during the pandemic in 2020, listen to this, this is insane. Consumer spending on recreational reading rose 22.9%. Mm. that's bonkers in one year 22.9 now it's obvious as to why people have more time on their hands yes <laughs> well every, yeah people couldn't get out we, we read more but isn't that encouraging like 22 and then and then it wasn't just like one of those blips where you know stop you know tesla stock price goes up one day and then it crashes the next the following year in 2021 it rose and nearly another two percent reaching $15.2 billion in spending on books in the US alone. So in, so I'm really encouraged by that. As writers, we should be really encouraged that more people, and it said people are reading more than ever before in a world where we have Netflix and we have 300 million other different streaming platforms now to choose from. Like, isn't that, that's something we should be celebrating. Absolutely. There was a thing in the bookseller a couple of weeks ago, Bloomsbury announced their results and they'd had a really good year and they'd done a survey or something. And I think the feedback was books, the perception of books as value for money is really good. It's, yeah. uh, you know, you buy a book and it's, you know, you will have a really good time with it. And it hangs around as well. You know, you go to the cinema once, you spend, I don't know, you know, a tenner on a cinema ticket and you go in and see it for two hours and it's done. Or you, uh, you know, subscribe to Netflix and you end up not watching anything for three weeks or whatever. And you think, oh gosh, well, that's, yeah. a, you know. Uh, so whereas with a book, you know, you buy a paperback for a tenner or a paperback for 20 quid uh, and it's a book for life. Yeah. You know, or and a two ninety nine Kindle, and, yeah, and, exactly. and you can also. I mean, I know you can rewatch shows and things, but I think people are more likely to re- reread books that they really love because there's a whole experience that goes on with it. And I'm I'm really encouraged by this because I I think that uh, when we we think about value per minute or value per hour of time, I still think books are 
ridiculously underpriced for the amount of beauty and value that's in them. And if you, t- if for example, you know, you talked about you, you consume something and it's gone. I mean, let's take the example of going and having a, a coffee in your kind of, you know, your, your posh coffee shop, you're paying a fiver, whether it's US or pounds or dollars or whatever, it, it it's, it's gone. It, it's like an experience in that moment. It was nice to drink it, but then it's gone. And yet a book is, you know, if you buy a book on Kindle, for example, it's cheaper than a cup of coffee. But the, I mean, even if you're a fast reader, you're just going to be multiple coffees, coffees worth of value right there and a very different experience that you take away from it as well. Do you know why I, um, I complained to BookBub recently? Did, Did I tell you this? I haven't no. told you this, have I? Right. Cool. Well, they, they were running an ad on Facebook that I hadn't seen it. People kept complaining about it and I hadn't seen it. I thought, maybe they're getting this wrong. This can't be right. They wouldn't word it like this. That's ridiculous. But then it popped up in my timeline. I'm like, I'm outraged. The ad was saying... Still overpaying for books. Get your books for 99p and BookBub. Overpaying? Overpaying. Dudes. The inference inference is anything more than a pound is overpaying for a book. And I was like, so uh, I think think it was Jeeve, Jeevani Chirika, she she complained first and said, look, here's where you do it. I was like, right, I'm doing that. So I, I dropped them a line and said, look, I understand the concept of marketing and promotions and, you know, you do 99p books or free books or whatever it is. But to infer that paying anything more than a pound, basically, you know, without authors, BookBub wouldn't have a business, frankly. Well, we've had BookBub on the podcast and we, yes, we, they're a yes. great organisation, but at the same time, they're shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Like, can I tell yeah. you a story just like that that was Go crazy? On. I once went into a music, a posh music PR company when I was releasing my second album. It's the first album I'm really successful. I'm going to spend a bit of money in this, do it properly with the, like, you know, and they, they, they put all these major artists out and they, the big old press campaign. I sat in the room with this young, fresh out of school, uh, new publicist, PR publicist. Now we're talking like 2007. So you've got to go back a little bit because it's when everyone had iTunes and it was all like downloads and you buy yeah, them, and you yeah, download them. There's no yeah. streaming. And I sat in this room and he said, so I said, so how much is this campaign going to cost? He says, oh, well, you know, and he pulled out some ridiculous, like, you know, thousands of pounds number. And then I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, uh, yeah, we had to negotiate a bit on that. But Towards mm-hmm. the end of the conversation, he said, we started talking about music, as you tend to, right? And he and he whops out this hard drive from in his bag. And he goes, oh, he said, I was at my mate's house last night. And, uh, oh, it was brilliant. He was showing me his iTunes. He has got like 10,000 songs, 10,000 songs. He said, and he, and he just like let me download them all onto my hard disk. Oh. And I just sat there going, what <laughs> the? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how kind of like ridiculous this is is that people that work in the industry don't even get it like mm. like talking about bite the hand that feeds you so um I, I ended up doing a whole campaign about how um how musicians were you know by the time you end up writing an album you actually paid less than the the um minimum wage in terms of hours yeah, if yeah. you have an average yeah. successful book and all the rest of it but um yeah it hardly surprises me but folks okay on on this podcast we are going to champion the value of books, not value, not value books. We need to champion the value of books. And I think, and I think the extra money that we should, we should start pushing the cost of books up and that extra pound or 50 cents or whatever it is goes to the author's pocket. I think we need to start doing this now because 
authors, um, creators generally, and I've been through this with the music, man, don't get me started on Spotify, but the, the, the as, a, as a creator, we are always the last in line yeah. and that has to change. It has to change. So to all of the industry, I know a lot of you industry listening folks, you know, you are the ones that can make this change. If you want to nurture and love uh, the industry and authors and secure your jobs in the future. And I'll say that boldly, you need to start putting more money in the author's pockets and we need to start making, instead of undervaluing, there should be a tipping process. Like it shouldn't be like, it sh you know, I went in, Mark, I went into the off license, the liquor store, as they call it in Canada. Mm. I went in and I walked, I picked up a bottle of wine as, as I like to do every now and again, like a little bit of wine every now and again, not too much, but I walked, I, the guy was really friendly. I give him his juice. I walked in, hello, how are you? It's like kind of almost over-friendly. Mm -hmm. I walked up to the counter. I put the bottle of wine on the counter and he passed me the reader. What did the reader say, Mr. Stay? It said, tip, 15%, 18%, 21%. And I'm like, For buying what? a bottle? For, for, for picking a bottle off the, the thing and, and they're now, it, I'm not kidding you, it's crazy, but people in shops are asking for tips for taking your money. And I'm like, what? what? Yes, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. The next time I'm in there, I will take a photo of it and we'll put it up on the phone. On the, it has got completely ridiculous. And not only that, but they're tipping. Now, listen, anyone that's working in the service industry, you earn your tips. I think it's wrong that you have to ask for tips because your employees should be should yeah, be giving yeah, yeah. you that money in your yeah. bloody pay packet. Anyway, but they've, they've <laughs> increased they've increased the numbers. You know how you get like these options. It used to be 12, 15, and 18. And now some of them start at like 18, 21, 25%. Now, the reason I'm saying all this is partly because I have a bugbear and it's just good to rant on the podcast. <laughs> but But the point is, why is it? Why is it? that someone in an off license or a liquor store can ask for like an 18% tip for taking your money and an author charges 99 cents for a book that they've spent a year, yeah. two years, even six months of their life dedicating their life. Why is it that authors shouldn't get tips? Why shouldn't, why shouldn't we have that as part of the whole process? So industry sort it out for goodness sake. This is ridiculous. It's, it's enough's enough. We have to stop it. And authors, you have to start valuing your work. Stop putting your book on for 99 cents. Stop giving your stuff away for free. It doesn't work long-term. It's a race to the bottom. And it, you know what free is? Free is valueless. There's no value in zero dollars, folks. So start owning it and, 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 and let's get authors making some decent money. Sorry, rant over. <laughs> I, I I love it when you go off on one, and I agree wholeheartedly. Oh. Although I should sh should say I'm having a half price sale on the Robot Overlords paperback this week, so do check that out. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I absolutely love it. And, anyway, and the, crow, make, make... the crow folk is 99p on Kindle in the UK. That wasn't my decision. It's in a. I know. It's in a. But it's, a, in a it's a promotional thing. It's it should be yeah, discounted yeah. to five dollars or five pounds. Discounted to five dollars. That's that's the thing. We're all stuck now in a trap because everyone one's like, well, this is what we now have to do because somebody at some point thought it was a good idea. Like, let's just remember back in the day in 2000 and blow, no, no, 1998, when I was working in the internet, when there was a brand new industry, a burgeoning industry, I worked in a big internet company and Dixon's decided to release this competing product to ours. We were Pipex style. They released a thing called FreeServe and you go into mm. Dixon's to get a disc and internet zero, no, no, for internet for free. Well, how long did that last folks? 
Like, who gets free internet today? Does anyone get... I don't get free internet. Does anyone no. get free internet? It doesn't work. So we're in, we're just in, we're in this weird bubble and it's, it's a long bubble, unfortunately. It feels like a long bubble, but I, t- I promise you, absolutely mark my words, folks, when I'm dead and buried, you can listen back to this episode in 50 years from now. <laughs> there will not be books for sale for 99 cents. They won't be like the proper authors, authors that respect and value and consumers will respect and value. They will be like, they will be valued at a higher price and that's where it has to go. It really does. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I, I hadn't even Excellent. planned any of that. It's just, oh, it just bugs me. It really bugs me. We have to start this, with this the industry and authors. This isn't even the extended bit. This I know, we haven't got time for the extended now. <laughs> oh, yes, we do. All right, folks. Okay, no, but seriously, if you disagree with me or if you agree with me, I want to hear about this because, you know what, I don't want to be a lone voice shouting at industry to sort this out. Let me know what you think. Am I am I talking rubbish? Am I am I making any sense? Like put me in my place if if you think I'm out of, if you're in industry and you think I'm talking BS, then tell me. But let's have a debate about this and let's talk about this and let's let's fix it. Um because it will take something like maybe something like this podcast to start the debate and maybe we can have that conversation out in the public and in the media. And as authors we can kind of like stand up for ourselves and uh you know, and, and readers, readers will support us if we ask them to. I, I know that. We know that for a fat mark, don't we? If you ask readers to support, like, they will do that because I, they, they value the work. I think there's, there, there has been damage done on the perception of this because I did leave a comment on the ad, much like my complaint. And I did have one person go, oh, I only ever read 99p books. You know, there are, there are certain people who, are on, who only ever read cheap books or only ever, you know, download songs for free. But you know, you're not going to, you can't change you can't the change entire that. world. No, of course not. No. But you also, if you're a business, you know, you can't pander to it either. But um, yeah, it's, so anyway. it's, it's amazing. Right. Well, we're, we're going to dive into the extended effort. If you enjoyed that, you just wait, wait for the extended. It's less so, ranty. I it's promise. Less it's ranty, a lot yes. less ranty. Actually, that's the thing. I'm now going to rant on the regular podcast and we're going to be, we're going to be all peaceful and lovely on the extended. So if you don't want ranty now, um, so in the extended folks, we're going to talk about future casting. Andrew talked about, you know, in 10 years from now, if you still haven't written that novel, how are you going to feel about it? We're going to dive into that because that's a really important reason why we show up. We're going to talk about being a morning person and why what Andrew said was absolute music to my ears. Uh, we're going to talk about the perspectives of being busy. This is really important, folks. If you're making excuses to yourself that you're too busy right now, believe me, you're never going to be less busy. So now is the time to write and finish that book. We're going to talk about uh, the being a working author and owning that title. And we're also going to dive in on writing to market, whether we should do that. And also authors writing similar themes over and over. So if any of that interests you, support this podcast. There we go. It's just, we're talking about the same thing. Support creators, support this podcast. You'll get access to all that great information. You can pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. I hope I've guilted everyone into going joining us. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the intention, folks. But if you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it. It's great um, value. It's, it's great, great value. It's great Hundreds value. of hours I mean, of deep dives. We've, we've been, yeah, yeah. been going like, what, an like hour mm. and a bit. We haven't even finished. Um, so pop along to the website and support podcasts and get extra goodies. So Mark, let's shout about the wins in our bestseller experiment community this week. Oh, this is great. Well, you listeners may remember that we challenged people to write every day 
in May, and we had quite a few people doing it on social media, and we've had some lovely success stories. So Inkborn Blade on Twitter, uh, it says, I moved house in the last week or so and currently have no Wi-Fi, which is why my 200 words a day tweet stopped. But he has been writing all the way through, and for the purpose of brevity, he's given me a screenshot of the word counts from, from, from that week. Um, but basically... Inkborn Blade managed a total of 19,114 words in May, making it their most productive month since they started the 200-word-a-day challenge 16 months ago. So that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And And whilst whilst he moved house as well. Moving house, yes. Hats off. Absolute hats off. Wow, congratulations. And also on Twitter, uh, Alyssa Eakins she says, I wrote a total of 10,544 words. This is double my average monthly word total since I started keeping track in October 22. Average daily was that. 340 words, aiming a little higher for June. Let's go. So wow. congrats on that, Alyssa. Isn't that Fantastic. amazing? It's brilliant. I just it works. love this. The 200-word totally challenge, 200wordchallenge.com. Get, get your words in for June. Get rocking. This is what happens. Twice Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Brilliant. And also on the wins front, uh, over on Patreon, we've got Sasha Green says, uh, this week, my book, Something Like Happy, which was the very first book I mentioned, finally got a best seller flag for a few hours on Amazon. Ooh. Yes, in a minor category, but I'm owning it. Listen, Sasha, we know all about minor categories getting bestsellers. <laughs> it only took four years, but ties in well with Mr. D's message not to give up. That's just brilliant. Absolutely awesome. brilliant. Congratulations, Congratulations, Sasha. Amazing, amazing. She's been such a great supporter of the show as well, always dropping us notes. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Now, you want to talk about milestones, Mr. D? Go on. <laughs> this is absolutely brilliant. Susie Edge, who's been on the podcast for a deep dive. She's coming on the podcast later in the year. She's already a smash hit with a book called Mortal Monarchs, A Thousand Years of Royal Deaths. And she's got a book coming in September called Vital Organs, uh, A History of the World's Most Famous Body Parts. Okay, <laughs> And Susie is brilliant. She's been a smash on TikTok. She did a deep dive on TikTok for us, which you've got to listen to. And I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but, you know, she's... Uh, become, you know, uh, a, a bit of a figure when it comes to uh, the royal family and royals and history and all the icky bits. And it's terrific. So she, she posted that on Amazon, someone has written a biography called Susie Edge Biography of the Legend. Okay. It's by <laughs> someone called Mary T. And it's got a cover that looks like it's generated by AI. And I have to say, the text sounds like it's generated by AI. So I'm going to read an extract. Okay, I'm going to read an extract. Chapter three, Breaking Boundaries. The chapter, Breaking Boundaries, delves into Susie Edge's remarkable journey of pursuing a career against all odds. It explores the challenges she faced, the obstacles she overcame, and her invaluable contributions to her chosen field. Susie's story is one of resilience, determination, and the courage to challenge societal norms and break through barriers. The pursuit of a career against the odds. Susie's journey towards her chosen career path was marked by audacity and a refusal to conform to traditional expectations. (laughs) She defied societal norms and ventured into fields that were often dominated by men or faced limited opportunities for women. This pursuit of a career against the odds reflects Susie's unwavering belief in her abilities and her relentless pursuit of her passions. I love, I love the bland vagueness. I mean, Susie was cracking up on, over I, this, and she's I put this on social media, saying, 
Hang what on, the hell is, is this? <laughs> this is an actual. Okay, so I need just to rewind. This is an actual book that someone has written and yeah. published on Amazon. I thought it was just some review of her as an author. This is an actual book about her. Yeah, that someone has yeah, yeah. generated with yeah. AI. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. whole new world. I wonder. I wonder if there's a ton of other authors that have had similar kind of. It's just so weird. I'll tell you what, I'm going to do a share screen thing again so you can see the cover art. Because the cover art is. Oh, you know, you've made it when AI writes a whole book about you as a. And you're against all odd struggles. Oh my gosh, there it is. Look. Oh my (laughs) God. (laughs) The front cover. Mary T. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go, uh, you know, so I, I did ask Susie God. for permission to share this because she finds this, this just is hilarious. El- absolutely this is hilarious. Absolutely brilliant. Chapter yeah. 10. Conclusion Susie Edge, a trailblazer's journey. Yeah. Like, what? It's what so, is this? Who's done just, this? Yeah. I don't know. It's This is, this is, you know, we talked about. Um, I don't, <laughs> it's, it's so weird. You know, this is as weird as the, the guy eating carrots to our podcast, you know? <laughs> Which and that video has disappeared. I went to look for it because it was like ten years or five years or something since he put it up, and it's gone. And I'm 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 very saddened by that. Yeah. If um, anyone has a copy of that video of is it, is it Ralph eats carrots to listening to the bestseller bowl. experiment, yeah. and he eats carrots for like forty five minutes. If anyone has a copy of that, we want it. We need it for our archives. But that is it's almost it's it's actually up there. It's actually up there. Like okay, has anyone else question, folks? Has any other author out there discovered that they have a biography written by Mary T or Johnny Coffee or whatever? And, and because if they have, this is a whole world that we need to delve into. This is brilliant, absolutely. I'm, brilliant. I'm just, I'm slightly jealous. I don't have one. I was so, going to say, um, you, you know, <laughs> you start to get like, uh, what do they call it in German? Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Yeah, right. I think it's, uh, I think it's brilliant, and. Uh, uh, you know, you obviously you're not you're not an author unless you've got your own uh, you know AI biography. AI but biography. that's totally AI, isn't it? It's completely AI. It beyond says nothing. It's nothing. Sentences that make sense that say nothing, nothing. whatsoever. It's Apart utterly from empty the, calories. Uh, I know. Brilliant. Oh, well, <laughs> let us know, folks, if you have your own biography, uh, go and have a look. Actually, go have a look just to check. You're, I'm just uh, checked. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll, okay, we'll be waiting, folks. Um, We'll be waiting for Mark's day's biography and we will celebrate that moment with a special <laughs> podcast of two Marks. Uh, we'll, we'll do a reading from it and um, pick out the highlights. But yeah, I don't do, even have a Wikipedia page. So, you well, know, I know. I, what's with that? I know. Ridiculous. I know. Ridiculous. So if, um, if you'd like to get in contact, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the contact us and tell us about your AI biography that you discovered. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this gets better and better, Mark, isn't it? It does. It really does. What a wonderful world. Well, uh, folks, if you've got any good news, uh, you can find us on social media. On Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram, we are at Bestseller XP. And if you've enjoyed this, if you've been inspired by Andrea or any of the authors that we've had on the show, uh, give us a rating because it helps. It makes us more visible. It makes all the algorithms get all excited about us and puts us in front of new readers and uh, makes the world a better place. So uh, do do that. And thanks again, as always, to our editors, JD and Dave. Absolutely. And if you haven't yet already, pop along to our YouTube channel and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That'd be good to, uh, you can find a ton of fun interviews that we've done there. You can see the authors that Mark chats with, which is great. And uh, you can also sign up to our newsletter and you do that by going to our website, which I've mentioned many times before, and uh, pop, pop along to the newsletter tab, put your email address in and we'll send you weekly updates of everything that we are doing on the podcast, things you 
we've learned things that you will learn as well and uh, extra goodies as well so pop along to the website 200 word challenge folks if you want to do the 200 word challenge.com free challenge to get writing habits for a lifetime and it works we keep on it really does what what do you mean you haven't signed up to like how much how often do we have to bang on about this on the podcast until everyone in the world's doing it because it works it works folks tell your friends um and yeah thank you to you for sticking with us on this crazy journey uh i'll be back with my valium next week uh, and it'll be a goodbye from mark one <laughs> this might be the longest episode ever uh, it's a goodbye be- from mark two <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> folks hold on <laughs> bye bye <laughs>